0: Hi, this is Morgan Michael welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast, where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness. I believe that we all have an innate need to be seen, heard, and understood. When we dedicate ourselves to kindness, the ripple effects in our schools can be life-changing. Through this podcast, I want to challenge you to question your assumptions amplify your insight, and embrace a willingness to go beyond the status quo in education. Together, let's learn how to make a big impact one small act at a time. If you've always wanted to explore creative ways of approaching kindness and service-based projects with your class, then you're in for an extraordinary treat. In this conversation, you'll learn more than 20 incredible ideas for teaching intentional kindness starting tomorrow. If you're starting the 21-Day Kindness Challenge with your class, or simply want to make your classroom culture kinder, settle in for this amazing conversation. Sheila brings to life acts of kindness, and service projects that families and kids can do. In her daily adventures of serving with her young boys, she's witnessed the awesome things that can happen when kids serve others. She started serving daily with her boys in 2012 when they were three and five years old. What started as a way to teach her kids empathy has transitioned to a way of life and a connection with thousands of others. A Harvard-trained educator with 20 years of experience, Sheila has taught in a variety of settings, from a classroom in a small town in Texas to a psychiatric unit in Chicago to the U.S. Department of Education. She truly believes that teaching kids to be kind results in a happier family and community. You can find her on our website at penniesoftime.com or at kindnessacademy.penniesoftime.com on social media also by searching at pennies of time. For more information, visit my website, smallactbigimpact.com and search episode number 19. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-Day Kindness Challenge and Movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. It is so incredible to have you on the Kindness Podcast today. I really thank you for uh, taking time from your busy schedule and being a guest today. Thank you.
1: You can never have enough of these types of conversations, so I'm excited about it.
0: I I totally agree. So thanks again. So school should really be about teaching children to interact with the people in the world around them in a compassionate, mindful manner, but also to teach and encourage willingness to tackle those really difficult problems like, you know, things like homelessness, poverty, inequity, environmental problems, and so on. So you state that we really need to end entitlement, build empathy, and raise kind kids. Why is this such an important message now more than ever?
1: We really feel like those are building blocks to getting to the end point of raising compassionate problem solvers. And so as kids from an early age, as they are taught to be empathetic, as they are taught to see need, as they are taught to how to appropriately respond to need and to be kind, particularly when others are unkind. That's where kind of like the rubber meets the road, right? Like it's easy to be kind to the sweet lady across the street, but what about the kid that's constantly making fun of you? And if we can teach our kids those skills, we can get to the point where no matter what careers they have, they have a compassionate problem-solving method within their heart. So the The solutions that they create are ones that won't rob the environment or take advantage of another group of people um, with with a, a malicious intent. And so I think that that's really what our goal is, because it's when you have that kind of guidepost within your being, the world will become a better place.
0: Mm, that's so interesting, too, because I think you're right. A lot of people find it easy to be kind to people who may be in need of help. But as soon as it becomes sort of a conflict situation, it's, it's really difficult, or it can be very difficult to tap into that empathy and compassion, and even the kindness piece, in order to to sort of see things from the other person's side, to be able to react in a more mindful and respectful manner. So I think that's really, really important and especially important as we have these conversations with kids. So... I want to talk a little bit about the story of Origin for Pennies of Time, which is a nonprofit organization that started with you, Sheila, in September of 2012, I believe. And Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to tell the story of how you got started and perhaps going as far back to that back to school target shopping trip that started Mm -hmm. it off. And and (laughs) And then even maybe touch on, of course, the tragic loss of your friend, which really solidified the importance of your kindness mission. Would you speak to that?
1: Sure, it started. I have two boys, and um, it really started when they were four years old and two years old. And my younger son is perpetual motion; he's active everywhere. Um, he keeps us moving. He'll keep us young. <laughs> and when they were four and two, I kind of felt like I need to get my kids involved in community service. That's kind of how I've, I viewed things. I grew up doing service projects, so it was community service. And I was like, How am I going to do that? Like. I can't take my perpetual motion kid into a nursing home. Although a sweet child, <laughs> that's not going to be a situation at that point. Developmentally, that would be easy for him. Yes. And so for a full year, I was thinking about this and I'm like, is this, do I have to wait till they're older? I don't want to wait till they're older. And then, um, one day I was in Target with my boys and we were uh, doing our back to school shopping. Big brother was about to go to kindergarten. And, uh, you know, those motorized wheelchairs that they have that yeah. go beep, beep, beep as they back up. So, uh, a lady came up behind us and my older turned around and he was like, Hey, can I help you with your groceries? Cause she couldn't really get up easily. Her, I think her leg was in a cast if I'm remembering right. Aww. She's like, sure. So he and, uh, my younger son started taking things out of the, grocery cart and talking to the lady. And we find out she's a middle school teacher, Mm. Bless middle school teachers and how she hurt her foot and, and all those, you know, the things that she was going to have to do to get ready for the school year, even though she has a bum leg.
2: Mm.
1: And I was like, Oh, that's really sweet. I really didn't take like super note of it as a a solution to what I've been thinking about. Mm. Went on my way about a week later, a friend of mine lost her little girl and her little girl's name was Penny. And Penny was 21 months old. Now Penny, I didn't know Penny. I knew Penny's mom and her brother and sister. Mm -hmm. And um, Penny did not live beside me. She lived on the other side of the U.S. But because of social media, you can see what happens as things ripple out. And Mm -hmm. when Penny passed away, there was such a global reaching out of arms towards her family. Mm -hmm. And it really got me thinking like this little girl is making everyone stop and think. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about the time when my kid helped at Target. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what I should be doing. I need to think about things in little pieces, like little pennies of time. And okay, I'll do small things, even if it's just as simple as helping someone at the grocery store. So I on my own (laughs) craziness. All right. I'm going to do something kind with my kids Mm -hmm. every day. Wow. And I was telling my husband about it and he's like, great for how long? And I was like, well, forever. I'm kind of one of those that goes all in. He's like, kind of gives me like a, like a quirk of the eyebrow and two thumbs up. Oh sure. Go for it, sweetheart. (laughs) And so I had to find out what things could I do? Um, and as I started doing these things, I just started writing about them. And pretty soon someone was, someone asked me, well, are people reading it? And I was like, Oh, I I don't know. So then I looked at the stats on the website and people were reading it. And Mm -hmm. that's when I realized that I was not the only parent that wanted Mm -hmm. to do this with her kids. And I wasn't the only parent looking for ideas and I wasn't the only parent concerned about entitlement, concerned about compassion, and from that point on, we kept doing an act of kindness every day. And I started learning about how kids develop those empathy and kindness skills, and it kind of blossomed from there. Um, and we just, what started as a grassroots kind of mom and kid thing has really grown into a nonprofit where we support families and community members in schools in this journey of caring for others, teaching kids to be kind. And our goal is to develop compassionate problem solvers.
0: Mm, I love that. And I, you know, I love the whole story. And and I love the goal being this raising of compassionate story to, or of, of problem solvers, because I think really the purpose of education is really to build these social skills and for students to know themselves but also to be able to seek to understand other people, to hear other people, to see them really as who they are, not just how they're presenting. And the other piece is this problem-solving piece, the part that really is founded in in developing grit and perseverance and this growth mindset piece where you really want to see children, you know, really stru- like trying to tackle some of these big issues because sometimes their approach and their perspective can be so different from an adult's. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and if we're yeah. able to sort of like enable that and and allow them to take off with that and support them, it's incredible what can happen. So um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. But before we do, I, I'm really interested to know, because as you start such a project as you know, pennies of time. And I know that it was, it was sort of a slow, very ad hoc kind of project to begin with that you were doing with your boys. But as it sort of uh, steamrolled into this bigger nonprofit, were there ever sort of difficult times where, you know, people can often have this perception that success is inherent, (laughs) and that it's inevitable. And you know, it Mm -hmm. just happens. And I think even from my own experience, and from everybody that I've talked to on this podcast, that's tends to be sort of the central theme is that when you're doing something really worthwhile, sometimes it can be really, really challenging. So what are some of the challenges that you might've encountered as you established pennies of time? And then were, were there ever moments when you felt like it was an insurmountable task or do you ever wanted to give up?
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I'll start with just a little anecdote from about my oldest. Uh, so we had been doing daily t- Acts of kindness and even service projects for about eight months. And on this particular day, we drove up to uh, the playground. We're just gonna play outside for about 30 minutes and go to the next thing. We get to the playground and and I don't know what happened, but a bag of trash had been let loose and it was just filthy. There was mm-hmm. trash everywhere. And so my five-year-old, who at the time just wanted to go swing, took took a look at it, he sees the need, and then he starts to feel overwhelmed. And he turns around to me and he says, Mom will I always have to help so hard? Aww. And it was a really good conversation to have because we do get tired, right? Yes. And and I think what was so great about that conversation was to have that step where we say, honey, if you're tired, you can take a break. How are you going to take care of yourself? Do you want to swing? Go swing. And then after you're done swinging, then maybe we'll pick it up or maybe we come back later. We invite a friend to come and, and help us. So I think the journey of, of ourselves and transforming ourselves to think of others first more often than ourselves kind of can become, become a little taxing if we don't take care of ourselves. So the self-care portion um, was an interesting thing to teach my kids. as We grew into that. Um, as far as growing the nonprofit, absolutely there are buffs <laughs> and jiggles and wiggles and um, because we live real life, right? Yeah. And so through periods of illness and unemployment, employment and things getting hard and, um, the house gets hailed and there's damage. You have to like balance it all and weather it through, and you mentioned the word grit before, Mm. and that is absolutely perfect because it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a little trite, but things worthwhile aren't always easy. Yes. And so it's really consistently going forward and making those small steps, um, to get through the hard parts, whether it's, Oh my goodness, I don't know how to do this task because we're starting a nonprofit and we have 80 million things to do. And I only know how to do two. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm tired (laughs) and I thought I had a volunteer and and now the volunteer can't and I'm going to need to do it. And I think it's really important to recognize that you can't do everything at once, Mm -hmm. that you're not going to do even maybe fifty percent of what you're doing, you're not going to do perfectly. Mm. And that's okay. That's the beauty of it because you'll grow and you will develop. And I think one of the most meaningful things about this work is at times I'll be faced with something or our board will be faced with something and we're like, oh no, oh no either. (laughs) And it's that magical moment when you're like, wait, this is an amazing point because this is when we get to reach out and invite someone else into what we're doing. Mm. And you develop relationships, connections, and oftentimes that person that reaches out to you or you reached out to needed something like this. Uh, So I love the work that we do because it's not like we make a sock and it gets a hole and it's tossed.
2: Mm -hmm. The
1: awesome thing about kindness is it continues to ripple out. So all these small efforts make a huge difference. And that's one of the things that I that I tell the teachers and the parents that we work with, it's not about the big service project at Christmas or holiday time those can be very valuable and and they can bring good memories and good experiences mm. but really when you're taking the development of children you need to take it in small moments consistently over time and that's how you grow their skills that's how you grow their kindness and empathy muscles and that's what teaches them the journey of self discovery and and finding out what they're good at mm. and so sometimes Um, I'll get a call, Sheila, I did this and it went terrible and I want to quit. And I'm like, no, don't (laughs) quit. (laughs) Yes. Don't quit. Keep going. We have a little, we have a philosophy and our philosophy is 10 to 15 minutes a day of putting someone else first and yourself second. Mm. And in order to do this consistently with busy families and classrooms is if it starts going off, maybe I'm tired and it's, and it's not going quite well. We just stop, and we can pick up the next day. Mm-hmm. And the idea that it's not one and done—that we can do things the next day—I think is powerful. And in and in doing things the next day, when we talk about kindness with our schools and families, it's not always about the acts of kindness. It's it's about experiencing kindness, mm-hmm. so whether you are being, whether you're receiving the kindness, whether you're giving the kindness. Like we typically think, doing acts of kindness or whether you're witnessing kindness, all of those experiences kind of rotates in and create cycles and ripples of kindness within development. Um, so moving forward with the movement, is it difficult? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and sometimes you're like, okay, oh, there's a crumb of good thing. We're going to hold onto that today. Yes, <laughs> yes, Um, but it's worth it when you see, um, the development of, of of people and families. It's worth it when you recognize that you had a huge step of personal growth.
0: Mm, Thank you so much for that. And for, for sort of being really honest about that, because I think, again, it comes back to this idea that people perceive these nonprofits or these endeavors as really easy or, or that somehow, because it's easy to conceptualize kind of what the purpose is behind it, that, it's easy to put in motion as, and as, as you know, and as you've experienced it, it can be really difficult because there's so many different moving parts. So I really appreciate you digging into that a little bit. I would like to talk a little bit about, because I had an, an opportunity to talk about, sorry, the, the, the fact that when we experience loss, often there's sort of this renowned or, or renewed sense of gratitude that can be born of that and when i think about your story of penny that's almost what it what it brought forth for you and i i just recently had a conversation with uh with the founder of Ben's Bells and she actually lost her her i think he was just about 3 years old um really suddenly and un- unexpectedly and it was a really devastating time in her life and out of that was born this amazing project where people were and I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it but mm-hmm. it, yeah and so people were able to create these little pieces of art that were that had a little message on them that really encouraged this this goal of kindness this mission of kindness and that has rippled out and I just think it's so interesting that when when we experience loss like that, sometimes we get this tremendous sense of gratitude out of that. It seems so counterintuitive, but it's, it's often what happens. Can you speak to that?
1: I see it as in, um, when you experience a crisis, so it could be a loss of, um, a family member. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, it can also be a loss in, in different ways. So, um, I'm just thinking of a young woman that reached out and she wanted to to learn how to do acts of kindness within her school. And Mm -hmm. she uh, had moved from one place to the other. So she had lost important relationships. Um, When you lose your health or someone around you loses their health, I think that it really creates a motivation to be like, You know what, we need good in the world, and there is good in the world, and it it helps connect us in a deeper way with one another. When we experience loss, I think there's that natural um, inclination to kind of surround ourselves with good things and be reminded that although we have lost something, there are so many wonderful things here, and we can create deeper meaning because we have a greater sense of appreciation because we have experienced loss.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the, the the young lady that wanted to spread acts of kindness in her school did it through trying to create friendships where there were not friendships. Mm-hmm. So because of her, a loss of friendships for her, she wanted to create a, a deeper connection because she realized how important they were.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that's kind of what makes life meaningful. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: and I think that that's one of the challenges in teaching our kids because so many of them are raised with everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I work with, with families and they'll be like, Sheila, he can't even recognize when someone needs help. And so the step back is, does he do chores? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Oh no. So you have to like, think of, well, how, how, Else will he start recognizing need? What else can you do to him, do for him with him and teach him so he can see when there's a need? If everything's taken care of for kids and they don't have to do for themselves, they don't, in a sense, appreciate it and also they don't see need. Yes. Because we don't
0: need to. <laughs> That's right. Yes. And it's our, our job. Exactly. That's right. It's our job to sort of draw their attention to that need. And I, I'd love to even dig into that a little bit because I know that you you have even created printables and and resources for parents to start building empathy into the conversation. So how, how do you build empathy with children who may kind of come with a sense of entitlement because of all of the things that, you know, all of the conveniences that they experience in life? What are some of the ways that families and teachers even can start that conversation to encourage compassion and empathy to develop? And I'd love for you to speak to that and maybe even share some of your favorite ways that they can demonstrate that.
1: Absolutely. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the research that came out of Making Caring Common in 2014. Mm. And they... Um, canvassed a bunch of high schoolers and basically had them rank what they feel like their teachers and parents care about. And it came out from that body of research that kids feel like care, parents care more about grades than about their ability to care for others. Mm. And it's kind of understandable how that would come out. Mm-hmm. What do you talk about at the dinner table? How was school? What were your grades? How would the quiz go?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so one of the first things that I talk about with families is we're going to do this in a sustainable way. So I don't want you to go out and feel like you have to spend an hour every day going from one nonprofit to the other with a service project. What you have to do is what do you do already in your classroom? What do you do already in your home and how can we infuse kindness into it? Mm -hmm. So most families and all teachers read to their kids. And so, so I, we suggest two different ways. And this both of these ways are fun with our boys so one of the things that we do is the boys have gotten older is we find we go on a kindness hunt and as we're reading stories the boys point out oh she was kind oh she was unkind oh that was and so they within the imagination and within this very quiet atmosphere as the characters react and act out the kids start seeing how behavior affects others and how When someone does something, if it's kind or unkind, how that affects someone else. Mm -hmm. And it's a great place to start because it's really uncomfortable to be told that you're unkind. Yes. (laughs) Particularly when you don't understand the things leading up to it. Yes. So the first thing we do is get out your books and start pointing out. Kindness and unkindness, how the character's actions affect one another. So that's one of the easy ways that we start with, particularly with little kids, Mm -hmm. when they're starting, toddlers and preschoolers, when they're starting to label their emotions, Mm -hmm. this is really important because if they can't label their own emotion of sadness then they can't see when someone else is sad and might have a need. Yes. So when you're little, just relabeling emotions. Oh, look at the frown on that character's face. That tells me that character is sad, maybe mad. Let's read more. So very easy things. This is not, uh, it should not be burdensome because if it's burdensome, we're not going to do it. And we need to. we need to teach our kids to be kind and compassionate. So let's do it in ways that are easy. So books is one of the very first things. Um, pointing out kindness, unkindness, and how one character's um, actions affect another and make, create that, that connection personally. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a terrible thing that, that 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 character did. I remember one time I was riding my bike and I got shoved by someone on the sidewalk and it really hurt me. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: he help the kid connect his own, her own experiences to that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the conversations around kindness or unkindness. I'll share with you some acts of kindness that can be easily done. But even just the conversations that we have around us. um, We play a game called I Spy Kindness and we like to play it when we're out and about and we see people being kind to others and we elevate that in our day and we elevate that in our conversation. So it it reinforces to the boys and to the families that we work with that kindness is important. Mm. But also when you see someone being kind, just feel good. Yes. It feels good. All those awesome chemicals are released. Mm-hmm. And when you feel good, you're more likely to be kind to someone else. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we got to we got to draw attention to that. And I think I think it's training the brain on some level to really mm-hmm. be actively searching for it and I mean, there's been a lot of research about that in, in terms of gratitude and 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 kindness in general, that when we can train our brain every day for, I think, generally up to 66 days that you really, really internalize a habit, but even mm-hmm. as little as 21 days, that if you're doing that for, for a sustained period of time, and like you said, it doesn't have to be longer than even two minutes a day. Um, and I, I think you said more like 15, but I mean, it could even be the entry point is it's two minutes. It's a two minute conversation really briefly about something kind that you've seen or, or done or witnessed or whatever it is. And that that in itself can kind of have a ripple effect for that child or even for a whole classroom because they start noticing it it's like that red car you buy and then suddenly there you see it everywhere it's just Mm -hmm. it's kind of this ubiquitous thing when you're searching for it so I think that's a really interesting way of of entering into this empathy conversation so that's great I would like to dig into some of the specific actionable ways that people can continue to sort of act upon the empathy, because I think, you know, and I talked to Barbara about this, this idea of the difference between empathy, compassion, and then kindness. And it's really this head and then heart understanding. You know, you you understand it at the head level. You understand it in terms of how you feel in your body, this empathy and compassion for someone else. And then the kindness is the piece where you're able to use your hands to actually do something about it. And I think that's such an important part of the puzzle, especially in this world when we are overwhelmed with technology and really negative things in media often, uh, because that's what gets ratings. And so being able to sort of channel that energy and channel it into kind acts, I think that's such a powerful piece because it reinforces to children and to adults, actually, that we're not powerless and that we Mm -hmm. can make an incredible difference. And I think when, when kids and adults can realize that really important fact that you're not powerless and that you can make a difference. I mean, the possibilities are truly endless. So, I'd love to talk a little bit about maybe some of your your favorite projects or even small small activities that people are able to do. Maybe maybe we can start within school to to bring kindness to the forefront? What are some things that you've you've experienced or seen?
1: Um, We like to encourage schools to have a kindness mascot in the classroom. The last thing that we want to do is create additional burden for the school teacher. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that the school teacher is already doing. Mm -hmm. And so we encourage um, teachers to create a a kindness mascot. So for example, this is um, our kindness kangaroo. Mm -hmm. And um, he... Is the signal we call him Joey? Um, <laughs> other people can rename it, it can be Charlotte. Um, yes. but he is the signal that something kind has been done for you. So, within the classroom, the teacher doesn't have to push kindness, mm-hmm. the children themselves can be kind to others and they can do it anonymously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, when something has been done kind for someone, they reach out. And they give the kindness kangaroo. And he doesn't have a pouch. So sometimes they put little notes inside it. So having a a kindness mascot, that's the signal. It's a physical reminder. Hey, one of the tenants of our classroom is being kind. Also, he's an actionable mascot, whichever you choose. It could be a kangaroo. It could be something else. Maybe Mm -hmm. you're, I don't know, bully beavers and you have a beaver doll or it's a car. (laughs) It doesn't matter. But basically there's this, this rotating child propelled kindness action, where they're constantly looking out and seeing need. And then with the kindness mascot, they're filling that need and they're leaving the token behind. So the child who receives the kindness gets excited and then also takes on the responsibility of putting that kindness forward. So that's one of the things that we really like because it's not super burdensome. It can be really personable and it's a lot of fun. The other thing that we'd like to talk about is You have teachers have pacing guides, they have instructions on what topics to teach when, and sometimes it can be pretty, pretty fast paced. So what we do is we ask them to think um, creatively about what's going on. So, um, for example, in first grade in our area, they first graders learn about community Mm -hmm. and all the elements in the community. Um, the police station, the hospital. And so there's a day where they spend um, and they brainstorm lots of different ways that you can be kind in the community. Mm -hmm. And then they have the kids write a thank you note to their mailman because the mail carrier shows up almost every single day to our homes. And Mm -hmm. how many of us actually know our mail carrier? (laughs)
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: So we take this this community helper who is in most instances invisible Mm -hmm. and we bring that particular person to life and teach the kids what they do and what their job is like. And then they write a note um, and they go home and they put it in their mailbox. And I like the go home part mm-hmm. because it also helps mom and dad connect back into what they're doing at school with this kindness thing and also with the curriculum. And I love the stories after we do this where kids have put a kind note, a token of love in their mailbox for the mail carrier because they always respond. In fact, one year Um, I did it with four of the first grade classrooms. It's very simple, very easy. We wrote a kindness book. We talked about kindness, mail carriers. It was very easy to do. Mm -hmm. So these four classrooms of first graders went home, um, put their notes in their mailboxes. And three days later, our mail carrier comes up to my door. My name was not on Mm -hmm. any of it. My address wasn't on any of it. Mm -hmm. Pennies of time wasn't on any of it. He comes to our door. My husband opens it. And he's looking at the mail carrier thinking, are you going to have a package? Like, what do what you, what do you, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, are you guys like the kindness people? And you can be called worsting. things. Sure. We'll, we'll own that. Yeah, sure. We, we love kindness and talking about kindness. And he's like, I just want to let you know, all of my colleagues love their notes Aww. and we want to thank you.
2: Aww, now. Man.
1: They have lots of things to do. Do they really have the time to go sleuthing out and figuring out who it was? Yes, where I lived, and then personally make a thank you to my door. Um, people need kindness, and so yes. I like to encourage teachers to take a look at what they're doing and connect it to what they're teaching. Uh, another unit, um. This is for the younger kids where they start talking about um, who they are and how they fit in. And we talk about um, passions and our skills. And then we turn it a little bit and talk about how can we use our, our skills and our passions and our talents to help others. So you talk about well, you're athletic how can you help someone with your super athleticism where you like to bake and you bake with grandma how can you use that to help so really taking a look at what you're doing and teaching already and trying to fuse it in a way that the child connects it to helping someone in some way um, with the older kids it can be a lot easier because you're starting to tackle Issues that they can better understand when Mm -hmm. you're teaching about the legislative process. Well, why do we have laws? Mm -hmm. Will they respond to need? Well, what is that like? What are good laws and bad laws? Um, My son is, uh, he's 11 now, Mm -hmm. and this past year he was in fifth grade, and he was learning about conservation and came across a gentleman called Rob Greenfield, and Rob Greenfield is an activist that talks about trash. And he built a trash suit, and he collected all the trash he made for a month. And my son was fascinated. Hmm. He was like, wait a second, I could do something like this. Adults are making a difference, but kids can too. So he created Trash Me for Kids. He sewed his own trash suit. He presented to the principal and the teachers. He's like, I wanna collect all the trash I make for two weeks, show how much the typical American makes in trash, and then I wanna conserve for two weeks. And I wanna wanna talk about this and see what we can do. And so that's what he did. And it's, it's in some sense, um, the act of the teacher letting go of control a little bit and encouraging kids and somehow being creative with the time in the day and maybe making um, the opportunity after school and maybe bringing a volunteer Mm -hmm. to help, to help kids have the space to say, Hey, I can tackle the hard stuff. Yes. And it's meaningful and it's going to be helpful. Um, And so, sometimes it is the little bit of letting go of control that's hard. <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, it is. Oh, you're absolutely right. I think as a teacher often, and I've 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 spoken to this a little bit with some of the other guests that have come on, because of course, this is primarily a podcast about sort of rethinking education. But mm-hmm. yes, the certainty piece is a huge part of it for a lot of us. And I think many of us actually go into school because the system worked really well for us. And so rethinking it can be very, very difficult and kind Of Yeah, really upending it a little bit. And I think there are a lot of efforts to go, especially in our neck of, of the woods in Western Canada, to go more into the inquiry mindset, which is really about exactly what you're talking about the curriculum is starting to expand in such a way that it's becoming a little bit more big picture where we live and so that's given us the opportunity to delve into some of these projects that kids are really passionate about and then for us to see how can this connect to the curriculum how can we bring literacy and numeracy and social studies and science and all of the different subjects and make it more inter- interdisciplinary in such a way that they are learning in a really meaningful way because it sounds though and I mean your son sounds incredible so who knows where he'll go in life probably the sky's the limit at this point but with something like that a project like that that gives a student the confidence and the groundwork to really to really be able to delve into this later in life because when they've had that experience, they can call on that and go, oh, I did this project before. And I, you know, I brought some experts into it. And I was able to learn from something, you know, get inspired by other projects. And so that kind of ricochet spin-off effect is incredibly, incredibly inspiring and uh, and I think mobilizing for students. So I, I love that you're you're offering these types of projects because sometimes we can get a little bit caught up in yeah, like our, our, the plan, you know, the, the planning that we need to be doing and the pace and, and all of that. And if we're able to sort of expand it and get creative about
1: it, these kids can just learn so much. So thank you. For- Absolutely. They, um, what I find is they have, even if they're like the most entitled kid and they <laughs> frustrate you <laughs> Um, they have such a capacity mm-hmm. to respond in amazing ways. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it, it's even just bringing in someone who is involved in a proactive way to do good. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and this is, has been very successful, you bring in someone who has experienced a negative social ill to teach them about it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times kids don't see homelessness because it can be invisible in their communities. Mm -hmm. It's there. And so by taking the initiative to find someone to come in and talk about um, homelessness and how pervasive it is and what it's like to be a kid and be homeless. And you read a a book or an excerpt from that perspective, Mm -hmm. it really opens their eyes and it exposes them to something that they wouldn't naturally come across. And they respond even the most, what you would call selfish kid, responds. Yes. And then so it's it's taking those quiet moments, and I call them awareness activities, creating that very deliberate situation to teach them and expose them to something so that they see that the world is greater than this. I go home, everything's taken care of for me. I go to school, I go to soccer, I go home. Yes. Um, it's amazing what they can do. It really
0: is. I think so too. And I would, I mean, since we're on this topic, I would love for you to share, if you would, your story of the San Francisco trip where you were handing out kindness kits and then your, (laughs) your son, who I think he was seven at the time, you call him Uh big brother. He moved, he kind of got into this kindness problem solving mindset and, and thought of some really creative things. So could you, could you sort of tell that story for us?
1: Sure. We, when the boys were younger, um, they, we talked about homelessness and, and we don't label people, um, because kids use those labels. And so what mm. we say is, um, um, homeless. So that one, a homeless person f- for the boys, they understand he's homeless, but we talk about it's a person in need. Mm. Um, because I was, I didn't like it when the boys would go up, Hey, are you homeless? No. Oh. <laughs> Pragmatic, well, of course. Right, yes, exactly. So yes. related back to what they need, and sure. so we talked about there are some great children's books um, that do a good job of in very kid-appropriate ways talking about homelessness and and what their needs are mm. and why they become homeless, and it's not because they're lazy or bad or mm-hmm. you know those all those things that we start becoming aware of when we're um, when we're growing up, and so we would create uh, care kits for the homeless, and it has. Hygiene-type stuff, um, my oldest uh, would love to go and get. He's, uh, you know, if I could earn money as well as he does. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he, as always, has money. And so whenever we make the homeless <laughs> care kits, he goes and he gets his savings. Mm-hmm. And he writes a nice note after he puts the ingredients in, the items in. And then he puts money in it. And this is his own, this is his own jam. Mm-hmm. This is what he feels like because he has this inner core in him that he wants people to buy the things that they need. Um, mm-hmm. It's very important for him. He's like, we can't assume that this is what they're going to need Mom. So that's oh, important. Wow. To him.
2: that's profound. And so
1: t- we live um, in Dallas, Texas, and we mm-hmm. were taking a trip to California. We we're going to be in San Francisco. And so we knew that we would come across more people in need than we typically do on the daily basis here. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know if we put, I can't remember. I don't know if it was 10 or seven kits We put several kits together as much as we could fit into our suitcase and we brought them with us. Mm. And then, um, we like to walk and interact with people. And so we're out in this, on, you know, going to places, walking from place to place. And so in the backpack, we'd shove a couple homeless care kits and give them out. And after, um, after handing them out, we got to, the point where we had none left, and of course, the need um, for those um, to have those items, the the need um, to have shelter for um, a city like Francisco is really San Francisco is really high, and mm-hmm. so Everett would pass by, and he would be like, "Mom, do you have money?" I'm like, "I'm out, dude. We gave it all away. <laughs> I'm tapped." <laughs> He's like, well, can I talk to them? And I'm like, well, sure. And so we practice a little bit. What do you say? Mm. Um, and so we go up, he'd introduce himself and talk to them. Mm. And sometimes it, it was just a, just an amazing conversation. Sometimes it was a short conversation. Yes. Sometimes the person didn't respond, but he didn't take it personally. He just wanted to connect in some way. And so after a while, he's got really quiet and we're, we're talking and he started talking about different ways that we could help. The homeless. Those don't have mom. They don't have a home because they don't have a job. We need to help. We need to help them with a job. So he's seven. He's already starting to articulate all the pieces that feed into what, why the situation is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, well, why don't we just, like train them? Why don't we just give them like loans? so They can start a business like a lemonade business, and then they can earn money and then earn more money. And then he knows how to earn money and then, <laughs> and then they can get a home. And so I was amazed because I had never talked to him really about loans yes. or micro loans yes. or job training. And here of his own was putting those steps together and really trying to problem solve out wow. a systemic way to help others. And I was Lord. And this isn't because he's a genius, although he's an amazing kid. (laughs) (laughs) This is because, in little bits and pieces, we talk about need. And every time you do an act of kindness for someone, you're going through the problem solving process because you see a need, you recognize how you can fill that need, and then you put action behind it. So when you go through the problem solving process, little by little, Mm -hmm. several days a week, that all adds up. And so your problem solving skills become really tight and amazing. And then you start problem solving in ways that your mom or dad would never think. Yes. And so it's not unusual for my husband and I would be talking, we're talking about a work thing or another thing, and the younger one would be like, Well, why don't you do this? And we sit there and we're like, Oh <laughs> <laughs> that that would really work.
0: <laughs> well, doesn't that just show though how how much this kindness piece has has sort of helped him to blossom that creativity as it come and that innovation and really isn't that what we need more of in the world? I mean, Absolutely. we really uh, there have been n- numerous stats, so I'm not going to throw a number out, but but essentially this idea that we have enough money in the world to sustain all of the populations with enough food and water and s- shelter. And so there there are ways to solve the problems that are out there. And so it's really on us to support and foster and motivate as much as we can our kids because they are tomorrow's leaders. They are the problem solvers of tomorrow. And and I think this story really, really points to that, that it's incredible what can come out of these types of kindnesses because you really see that innovation. So I appreciate you sharing that.
1: Of course, it's yes. a lot
0: of fun. I would like to, to talk a little bit more about some of these specific ideas. Um, what are some of the ways, because I mean, there are many different, different populations that, that can be in need. It's not always the case, but we, you know, we have seniors, we have our veterans, we have all sorts of different people. We have people who have suffered losses, like you said, either because of losing somebody or even a, a job loss or, or just, you know, going through a difficult time. So what are some of your favorite ways? Maybe we'll start with seniors. What are some of your favorite ways that kids either at school or at home have contributed to seniors and maybe big projects, but also some of the little
1: things as well? Mm -hmm. I think it's best with kids is to, um, I think of circles within circles. Mm. And so kids connect strongest with those that are closest to them. And I don't mean, sure, in in your home, Mm -hmm. but within like your community. Um, So oftentimes it's very tempting to find a place way over there, do something and ship it off. And there's value in that. Mm -hmm. But when you can create a closer connection between the child and the person receiving the kindness, Mm. I think that's where the memories are made that are the most meaningful. And so what we encourage families to do is to get to know their neighbors. Um, Like, you know, dogs are the great equalizer in the neighborhood. Do you know who has the dog right? And all the dog owners know the dog. Yes. (laughs) So by just getting out and being aware of who your neighbors are. That's important. There was one house. I didn't know who lived there until Halloween. And on Halloween, she came out and it was an elderly neighbor and she was super sweet to my boys. And I felt kind of stupid. Cause I was like, well, I didn't know she lived there and I should have taken the step to go meet her. Mm. So we encourage them to just go meet your neighbors and strike up conversations. And sometimes it's just looking around and say, Oh, there are three newspapers on their lawn Maybe I should kind of like gather them up and just kind of ring the doorbell and check in. Mm-hmm. Or their trash cans are still at the curb. Why don't I bring them in and just ring on the doorbell and check in? So those are some ways within your neighborhood you can, trying mm-hmm. to keep that closer connection. What I really like within schools is if, when they um, invite seniors to come and talk to them. Yes. Uh, it's interesting, I've been in neighborhoods and in communities where kids don't see the elderly and we can't let that happen. We have to make sure that the across generations, they know each other, recognize each other and see the value of one another. Mm. So even bringing in, um, those who might like a grandma, um, maybe, um, someone else that you know, a veteran would be great, particularly, we have so many that are around us that, that love the connection to the kids. Mm -hmm. So inviting them into the classroom and talking about what their life was like, you can, there's so many easy ways to tie it to the curriculum of what you're studying right now. And then creating opportunities to go and visit nursing homes or residential centers. And that's really where a lot of the fun can be. Mm -hmm. And as a school teacher, it can be kind of uncomfortable because you're like, well, how am I going to do that? And you basically really rely on parents and you yes. uh, get involved, the counselor and your administration. And you say, this is our goal. We want to go visit this residential center. I've called. And um, when you call and ask if your kids can come, don't start with kids. Just, <laughs> you say the word kid. I don't know. They just imagine like, I don't know. Chaos. Chaos. <laughs> So you can say we have a group of young volunteers. We have, we have, um, you know, just, yeah. And so you can invite them in and there are lots of easy ways. One year we went and we made cards and, um, we took cards and flowers and this happened to be a birthday party we had for the boys and we put out the call, Hey, we're having this birthday party. We're going to go to the residential center. We're gonna make cards and flowers and Um, We put a fun Secret Service agent spin on it, and I thought, oh, we'll get like 20% of the families. All of them came. So we had 70 people show up (laughs) (laughs) over the residential center. And it was amazing because ahead of time, the residents would sign up if they wanted, you know, the visitor. And not everyone signed up, which is way okay. But what was interesting was every single one came out of their rooms. Oh. They heard the laughter. They heard the joy. And there was one woman in particular, she couldn't interact. She had had a stroke and she was still recovering. But she, with her feet, she could walk her her wheelchair. And she walked up and down. I think there were six hallways up and down every single hallway, just watching the kids and watching oh. the interaction. So we received kindness. We we give kindness, and we see kindness, and it's all good for that. So uh, one of the other things that we did one time was uh, we had the kids teach one another magic tricks.
0: Oh, cool. And
1: some were real magic tricks, some were not, but you know. <laughs> they were appreciated so we go to the residential center the kids show a couple tricks they have fun laughter the residents start sharing their own magic tricks oh cute there was one lady who was blind and so she she would walk along the halls and read the braille of all the little door plates that went into the different rooms and the kids were like whoa that's amazing (laughs) that's great And playing games, Uh, there was one time, and Christmas is it, uh, the holiday time is always a good time to go and visit, because it can be hard. Yes, Um, lonely. Many of those people in, in the residential centers, they don't have family, their friends have passed away, and... And this one particular visit, all the kids were going there, and and they were singing, and there was one particular gentleman who was very reserved, didn't want to participate, Mm. and one girl went over, and she just charmed him, Mm. just charmed him, Mm. and wouldn't you know, he started singing the loudest of all (laughs) of us, he had like the most amazing voice, and So it's really surprising the things that come out. You know good stuff's gonna happen, yes. but you can't really ever predict. Um, so having people come into your classroom and then taking the time to have kids go visit the elderly. I those are that. those are fun ways that we like to do. Uh, with veterans, we try to keep them very mindful of what a veteran is mm. and the significance of that. And sometimes you have to backtrack it and and connect it to those who are currently serving. And so you put together packages, you have people come and you visit your classroom. I love it when you can send a package and the person receiving the package can Skype into the classroom oh, cool. and talk about That's it. Oh, cool. That's great. And um, some of the best ways to do that is to ask your students and your families, hey, does anyone have someone serving right now? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that closer connection, right? Oh, yeah, my uncle's serving. That close connection, it makes it more deep and meaningful than some stranger. That's
0: so good. We can
1: definitely help strangers and yes. there's value in that, but the closer you make it for kids, the more meaningful it'll be. Absolutely, um, Helping, helping others with chronic illness, I think is very mm. important because it's hard to be chronically ill and it's hard to imagine what it's like to be chronically ill. And so um, getting to know those, and there are, there are chronically ill people all around us yes. and getting to know them as a, on a personal level not as a project but getting to know them yes. on a, a personal level and then so when you don't see them at school for two weeks you'd be like hey I think I might mom can we drop by and give them a note sure we can Can we give them a call sure we can uh, and there are lots of books that you can use with that um, this isn't necessarily always a chronic illness but mm-hmm. when someone is experiencing cancer mm-hmm. there are so many projects that you can do for that um, from um, putting together chemo care kits. That's one of the, the, um, I think, the most popular project on Pennies of Time. Yes, Uh, We canvassed about 60 moms of kiddos going through cancer treatment, and we came up with a list of what they felt like was the most important, what would be helpful for their child. Can
0: you share some of those things? Just Just a few off the
1: top of your head, just so listeners can understand. Absolutely. So we designed the kits so that, Kids would better understand what it's like to go through cancer treatment. And so your skin dries up, things taste terrible. So within mm-hmm. the kits, you have um, care for your skin, care for your nails, care for your mouth. Mouth mm-hmm. care is very important. Uh, there's even plastic utensils because sometimes metal utensils, when you're going through radiation or chemotherapy, taste terrible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then um, the thing that a lot of going through cancer is you just, you're, okay it's not fun because you mm. can't be who you are and you're sitting and you're sitting at the hospital the whole time. So then we also suggest activities that you can do mm. um, as far as putting activities in the kits. And so it forces our kids who are putting the kids together to kids together to think, well, what would I do if I had to sit for hours on end or what would I do if I felt too bad and I couldn't go ride my bike? Mm. And so it starts developing that, that skill to see de- see it from someone else's perspective, even though you might not be going through it. And that's really fun because they start asking questions. You know, we're stuffing stuff into the bags and first it's like, well, who do I want this bag to go to? I want it to go to uh, an eight year old boy. And they start picking up the things. And then we start talking about, well, what is this day like? And so why do we have chapstick in this? Mm -hmm. So we talk about why we have chapstick in it or Mm -hmm. why are there lemon heads? And we talk about that. And so it really starts making real um the needs of others yeah so that's a good project that we like to do that's wonderful Um, and uh uh, one of the things that can be powerful for kids is in learning about homeless you can put together the homeless care kits but Mm -hmm. if you can also you can invite someone to talk about it but if you can go and on a visitor day visit a homeless shelter Mm -hmm. or visit um in dallas there is an organization and that provides supplies to those who are homeless. And when you're walking through the building and kids see diapers, you they can't buy diapers. Why do you have diapers here? All the way down to birthday boxes? What's what's in that box? You know, it's they're usually very pretty and full of ribbon.
2: Mm. And they
1: start seeing they can't have birthday parties. Mm. So just creating that opportunity to be like, yeah, this is real life, guys. Mm-hmm. They don't have swim team, you know. They- <laughs>
0: No, but it's true. And I think I love these examples because I think through, it's not really about, um, I mean, it is of course about the giving piece, but essentially it's about through the giving that they develop a really profound sense of empathy for the people that they're serving. Because what what the cancer, you know, the chemo kits provide is sort of insight into why they might need these items for for the, the homeless care kits that it's the same thing. It's sort of all of the items and conveniences that we take for granted, it's brought to the forefront in a really tangible way what it is that we have and what maybe other people aren't able to experience. And I, I love that you talk about this entitlement piece because I've spoken to a number of different people who uh, who are really coming from communities that are underserved. And so I love talking about the kindness from this perspective because sometimes when we're giving our ego can get in the way a little bit and we feel disconnected. And I mean, sometimes there's even this element of fear when and that makes us not want to take action sometimes. But I think if we can sort of shed that and really, really give value and, and face to the people that we are serving, that it has so much more meaning. Do you want to speak to that fear piece, the ego piece a little bit?
1: Absolutely. Um, I see fear mostly, um, if you were to like put need in buckets, I see fear mostly around helping those who are homeless. Mm -hmm. And so I'll share two stories. Sure. Uh, We were uh, spending a spring break in New Orleans and we got caught under an um, overpass while it was pouring rain. And there were several people um, who were living under that overpass and Merritt's my youngest and he's he's like his dad, he's never met a stranger. So he's rolling down his window and he's looking out <laughs> and he's got a tray of Legos on his, on his lap. And he catches the eye of one of the young men. And I, at this point have learned to let go of control. And mm. it took, it took many instances in which I, I was an error yes, <laughs> yes. to trust my children. Sure. So the young man, he comes over, he's dirty, he's smelly, And he starts talking to Merit and they discover they have this common love of Legos together. Hmm. And um while Merritt's talking about Legos, we always keep a homeless care kit in our glove compartment of our car. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like pulling that out and Merritt's having a great chat and they're talking <laughs> at, at some point their talk completely surpasses my knowledge of Legos and I'm really
2: amazed <laughs> at this.
1: So I'm I'm handing the 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 care kit back to Merritt and he grabs it from me and they're talking, and they're talking, they're talking, and they probably talked for about 10 minutes. It was really bad traffic. And at the very end, like we're moving forward. And I kind of felt at a loss. I was like, wait, we have to leave him behind. Can we, can we fit him in our car? <laughs> I was like, wait a second. So Merritt's giving the, the key just kind of Merritt hands the care kit to the homeless, the, the guy who is homeless. And they said goodbye and they rolled a window and we moved on. And I felt so strongly that even if there was a hundred dollars in that sock, yeah, the gentleman, the young man benefited so much more because of the conversation with my son yeah. and it was it was all my kid my kid having the understanding that they are people just like we are yeah. and and he can reach out and say hi um, another uh, story I have is we'd um, work with families to help them fine-tune some of the skills they have so that they can, be more equipped to raise kind kids. Mm-hmm. And I go through an interview process with the family to talk about what do you like to do? Not like
2: to do. Mm-hmm. What
1: do you not want to do? And the, I, I didn't even get the question out. So what do you not want to do? I didn't even come out of my mouth completely. And she's like, we don't want to help the homeless.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was like, okay, so definitely there's some fear there. She's yes. um, for all those things that can be wrapped up in that. And I said, okay. And so we go through the process and, uh, and I give them active kindness challenges every week and um, I design them. So they start seeing from the perspective of someone else. Mm. And one Friday she Skypes me and she's like, Hey, we're going to go to this big city. I know there's a lot of homeless. And I could like, you see the pause, right? Whether they're typing, <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if she's taking a big deep breath and she's like, what do I do if someone who's homeless that comes up to me?
2: Mm.
1: And so I gave her four or five tips and suggestions they, just, and then the next Monday I get a signal from her to chat and I pull her up and I think she's just going to tell me how her weekend went. And she's like, Sheila, I found our, our family passion. And I'm like, mm. well, what is it? She's like, we're going to help the homeless. <laughs> and this is from the mom that, that was she's so knee jerk that they weren't going to help. Wow. And I think oftentimes that fear comes from a lack of understanding, yes. um, where there's a lot of, of misconceptions about the situation. Yes. And so it's by exposing ourselves Um, to that element to that social need that those barriers are are broken down and it's really people no matter no matter what social it is people just want to feel loved and they want to feel accepted
2: Mm.
1: and it's such a simple thing but it can be really hard sometimes um and the other piece that we really try to reinforce is just as you're doing this take care of yourself yes and don't overextend yourself and just do a little bit and then take care of yourself. And the self-care is super important. I love right now how in our world, mindfulness is, is being elevated and rising to the top, you know, and surpassing, um, even the idea of going out and buying, you know, either, you know, kid toys or adult toys, taking care of ourselves and, and being able to understand and recognize our emotions. And we're Tired, And when we need to connect with ourselves more, um, I think that that's very helpful because it also decreases our own pain. Yes. Um, And I think when people are unkind, it's coming from pain. So if we can self-care our pain, it makes it much easier to be kind. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I've noticed about kids is that when they're unkind, something has happened to them in which they question their worth. Mm -hmm. And so anything that we can do to help them understand just the incredible worth that they each have, it makes it so much easier for them to feel equipped to be kind. Um, So, yeah, and it's it's entitlement, I think, is best addressed through exposure Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and and showing what the world is like in a greater context than the messages that we receive on media or. You know even some traditional stories that you know maybe older generations tell us mm-hmm. about certain people or or walks of life and so we have to take a step back and be like well maybe grandpa <laughs> wasn't right
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and questioning those assumptions that come with that background yes. as well absolutely this is this has been a wonderful conversation um before we jump to the rapid fire portion, which I assure you is just just a couple of minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you'd like to address or touch on that you haven't had a chance to talk about?
1: I I think we've talked about it. But just to reinforce it, one of the things that I think people think about kindness, because there's a lot of quotes out there, like, kindness is free throw kindness, like confetti. Mm -hmm. Um, Kindness is easy. And in general, it can be but there are times when kindness is hard. Mm -hmm. And it's important when it's hard to really sit with it and to be kind, because those are the most important moments. And so it's, it's, um, well, she did this to me, so I'm going to do this back and I'll be kind tomorrow. It's like, take a step back and think, is that really when kindness is needed? Mm -hmm. When it's hard is when it's most needed and it can be hard. And it's important that we understand that it's um, small steps over over time. Yeah. And um, I don't want teachers and families to think, oh my gosh, I have to put together this huge service project and spend 100 hours on it. Mm-hmm. And those are worthwhile, they do bring good things, but it's those small moments every day as we talk to our kids, as we read books, as we reinforce what's important, and as we respond to need, that those muscles of empathy, kindness, and compassion will be developed.
0: I love that. I think that's really, really profound. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Could you define what kindness means to you?
1: Kindness means to me, putting the needs of someone else before my own.
0: Okay. What book or books have you gifted most often to people?
1: Ooh, this this is a good one. Um, Because predominantly I work with families and teachers with young kids, How to Fill Your Bucket, Mm -hmm. I think is a good one because it makes visual what can be so invisible. Um, For teachers, I like to give the book by Barbara Gruner, the what's in your cape, what's your cape? Um, It's under
0: your cape, is it? Thank you.
1: It's under your cape. Thank you. It's right in front of me and I kept misspeaking it. And um, for um, adults, uh, this isn't really a kindness book. It's more about justice and equality. Um, For just adults, whether they have kids or not, any book's written by Jonathan Kozol. His last name is spelled K-O-Z-O-L because he does such a good job um, of showing lives of people that... Typically, the average American would not experience, and mm. you really your eyes become open to things.
0: Um, Thank you. That's great. What one skill or superpower does a teacher need to lead with in order to be effective?
1: I think flexibility. Mm.
0: Okay, and would that differ if we were talking about a principal or a no, no? Mm-hmm. same? Same, and it's
1: the flexibility to recognize need and resources to fill that need and the flexibility to leave our preconceived notions of what a child or teacher can do behind and give them that white space to just really blossom and grow.
0: Oh, that's so good. I totally agree. And finally, our last question, what message or quote would you print on one of those quote cups that are sold in big bookstores that might be read by millions?
1: There's a, he is uh, an artist and writer. His name is Brian Andres. So, Brian, forgive me for butchering this, (laughs) but he has one that says no matter where you are, if you decide to step up right there, you will do what is exactly needed at that time.
0: Oh, that's so good. That's a really good one. And it's just putting it into action.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so, so much, Sheila, for joining us on this conversation. It's been really, really inspiring and illuminating. And I can't wait to dig into some of these activities. And I know that the listeners will as well. I I was so excited for this conversation. And you absolutely did not disappoint. You were amazing. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I love this conversation. Thank you for creating the space for it. It's very important that we have these conversations and reflections.
0: This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry based approaches to creating a kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.